Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. James chapter 4, we're going to pick up at verse 13. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired, that it is breathed out from you, that it is profitable that it will train us in righteousness. And so, Father, we pray that as we give your word attention this morning, as I preach it, that it would train us. Father, that it would correct us. Father, that it would encourage us. That it would cause us to build on a, a firm foundation, Lord, and that it would grow our faith. Father, bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Fairly simple passage we just read. I mean, the applications just sort of come out and slap you in the face. Right? The conviction just is immediate from the passage. It got me thinking this way. There's a temptation that all Christians face. And it's this. When things are going well, we forget God. When things are going well, we have a tendency to forget God. I mean, as as terrible as that sounds, it is an easy thing to do, even for those who have been uh, converted, those who know the Lord, those who have have worshipped Him. When things are going well, we have a temptation to forget God. When business prospers, when relationships are all healthy and joyous and strong, when the savings accounts are substantial, when our bodies are not racked with pain, but they're strong and vigorous, when when the, the economy is growing above 2%, right? When, when, peace, when peace reigns in our society, when science is bringing all kinds of new discoveries and all those discoveries, maybe medical discoveries are relieving suffering around the world, right? When, when the inheritance comes from your parents, when your kids are, are well-behaved and successful and bearing good fruit, God, when your reputation isn't uh, in the in the dumps, it's you're respected. When you're a respected businessman or a respected teacher, respected leader, but when things are going well, we turn away from God. 
We turn away from God. Thanksgiving is one of the antidotes to that, right? That's what this week should be. It should be the antidote, antidote to forgetting God. You should like, okay, I'm going to thank God for all the things that I think I should take credit for. I'm actually going to give the credit to God. And it helps us not to move away from him. But, but we're, so, we're so fickle, right? We, we, knowing our sinfulness and our fickleness, God tells us in his scripture that we shouldn't forget him, but we're going to be tempted to. He tells us this. He does so in our passage this morning, and he did it long ago to uh, Israel. As Moses is, is about to depart from the world, not entering into that promised land because of his own sin. And the nation of God is, is God's people is about to cross into the promised land, the, that land where he's gonna, it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. We had strawberry milk last night for the first time. This like whole milk, like it's obscenely expensive and it was so good. It made me think of the milk and honey here. It was so good, so thick. I mean, he's going to bring them to this land flowing with strawberry milk. And Moses warns the people as they're setting, as they're on the verge of this, not to forget God. Deuteronomy 8, turn there and hear, hear this. Here's what, here's what Moses says to the people. All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but, my, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And of course, This is exactly what happens to them, isn't it? They turn their back upon God. They worship the gods. They they fill the cities with blood. They worship the gods of the people that they dispossessed. And what does God do? God drags them off the land. God exiles them. God gives the land a rest from their sin, a Sabbath for their sin. And that is indeed what happens. God brought them into a prosperous land. And instead of keeping his commandments and obeying him and giving him thanks, they became idolaters and walked away from him. Jesus reminds us of the same temptation to forget God when prosperity comes. He told the story of a prosperous man who boasted in his riches. You can turn to Luke 12, Luke 12, 13 says this, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive, And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you, and now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So another example of someone who who was prospering, right? And, And instead of the prospering making him cry out to God in thanksgiving and and sort of be nervous about his prosperity it just it just leads him to pride like the the people of israel pride that he's like well i'm gonna eat drink and be merry um my life is set out before me it's only going to be good from here and god says not so fast you will be done today 
So returning then to James, we see how James deals with this temptation. This temptation to turn from God when things are going well. James writes about those who are saying this, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Honestly, this, this, this doesn't strike us as anything abnormal. You know, we do this sort of planning all the time. We, we call it being prudent. You've got to make plans. You've got to, you know, you can't just, you can't just day by day it. You've got you to lay out a course. Um, one must put food on the table, and the, and the point of all business is to make money. And um, what's the problem? Well, the problem, James says, is this. The one who speaks this way does not have the right perspective on himself or on the Lord. He says, have a sense of proportion. And here's some proportion. One, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So as you make plans, don't think that it's automatic. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You simply do not know. And two... This one really annihilates all of us. You're just a vapor that's here and then gone. A vapor, unsubstantive, right? Just the lack of substance. In other words, to speak in such a manner is, as he writes in verse 16, boasting in your arrogance, thinking much more highly of yourself than you ought to think. This kind of boasting, he says, is evil. Boasting in one's arrogance leads one to think that he knows exactly what tomorrow is going to bring. And that he is some sort of force beyond vapor, right? That he's a substantive force, not a vapor that is here one minute and gone the next. Our lives are but for a moment, and in that sense, very insignificant, yet we boast of such great things. We just boast all the time of such great things. I think this is what Moses had in mind when he prayed this way as recorded in Psalm 90. He said, teach us to number our days so that we might present a heart of wisdom to you. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to not think that we've got it all figured out and laid out and we'll tell God how many days we have ahead of us. We have a finite number of days to live in this life, perhaps only one, perhaps many thousands. We are a vapor, here one moment and gone the next. Not so with God who has no beginning and who has no end, who is eternal. And yet when we boast of our plans, we get too big for our britches, right? We have a tendency to think of ourselves as masters of our own destiny. We, we think of ourselves as functionally infinite, right? This is what I've determined, this is what therefore will be. That is how we think. And so what do we do in the face of this? What do we do in the face of this verse? Well, first, live day by day. Live day by day. Some of you are being forced to live day by day because of the things you are suffering right now. Right? And so it's, it's more like minute by minute. Maybe hour by hour, but perhaps day by day. The antidote to such wicked arrogance that, that James talks about, the brother of the Lord, is to live for each single day and not worry about tomorrow, right? We all know the verse. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? What what will... Tucker, tell us to worry about this week. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek what? Yeah, that's it. First, his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things that we're always worried about will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Every day, enough trouble of its own. So we live day by day, living in this way, seeking not the building of bigger barns to store our abundance, not the planning out of our increase of our prosperity, not the building of monuments to our strength and independence from God. Living in this way allows us to seek first God's kingdom, And his righteousness, living for each single day, simplifies what is important, doesn't it? It's funny how the one who who doesn't think about the afterlife spends all of his life thinking about the future. Right? Like portfolio future or, you know, what's coming in the next election future. Um, The one who doesn't think about the afterlife spends his thoughts thinking about the future, but the one who knows what lies ahead in the afterlife, the glories of eternal life in God's presence, can really live in the present, the day, the now, right? Doesn't obsess about the good things one could have or experience in this life. So only the Christian can live in this way, not worrying about tomorrow because we know we have Jesus, We've found our goal. We've found our rest. We've found the treasure hidden in the field. We've found that which is worth, you know, we can give everything else up because we've found that which is worth everything. We have all that we need in Him and in Him alone. Living day by day and pursuing God's kingdom and His righteousness will allow us to see significance in everything we do. Live for years down the road and you will regret having to give years to changing diapers. Right? Live for years down the road in the delights of this life and you'll regret having to live in a 900 foot, you know, square foot apartment in the bad section of town because it's all you could afford. Live for years down the road, you'll regret having to be the lowest man on the totem pole at your your workplace. Uh, But live for the day and you'll see that all of these things are opportunities simply for you to, to depend upon God, to live for Him.
to glorify Him. Your life will not consist in the things that you possess, but in the God you possess. Here's another thing. When we are prospering by God's providence, remember that passage in Deuteronomy. Remember Deuteronomy 8. That that's when we begin to make bigger and grander plans, right? When we prosper, we think we finally have the resources to master our future, to master tomorrow. And the next year and the next. That's what we think, right? Um, so we must remember that prosperity is deceitful. It's called the deceitfulness of riches. Riches tend to speak this message to you. You have security, in me, right? They whisper to you that they will provide what only God in reality can provide, real security, real importance, real salvation. So we are surrounded by by prosperity, even, you know, even as we talk about the horrible economy that we live in, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. We are incredibly prosperous in the history of the world, right? But we, we gnash our teeth, we think it's terrible, and we have no, da- no radar then for the dangers of prosperity because it's just the, it's the, the sea we swim in. Um, I always remember John Piper, who's a man who who could have been very prosperous if he had taken the royalties from his books, but he, he made sure that he got none of the royalties for all the books he published, and they went right back into the ministry. So he doesn't get any of the money from that. And um, he, he always used to, he used to say, look, I'm the sort of guy that if you give me a pack of gum, I'm going to eat all five pieces instantly. I will stuff them all in my mouth and eat them, and money will be the same thing for me. So he disciplined himself, right, so that... Um, so that that wouldn't be uh, so that he wouldn't fall into the deceitfulness of riches. Um, early on, though, he could have been thinking about the future. He could have been setting up that that four hundred one k, that beefy four hundred one k, and he could have retired at fifty five, and he could have gone and sat on the beaches of Aruba. Does Aruba have beaches? I don't know. It does. Sandy, yeah, okay. Um, but in, in some sense, John Piper views money as a curse, which is really strange. We just can't quite comprehend that. On the other hand, adversity comes with its own temptations too, okay? So we've been talking about prosperity and its temptations. Adversity comes with a lot of temptations as well. When difficulties come to us, there's a temptation not so much to forget God as to resent God or to turn our back upon God, to be upset with God. As difficulties come, remember that God is weaning you from yourself and this world. And when someone, uh, when someone was undergoing difficult things in this life, the Puritans used to say, you must be highly favored in God's sight. Can you imagine we would smack anybody who said that to us? I mean, we'd be like, are you an idiot? 
you know, there's a time when you should probably just be quiet and let people grieve. And, you know, we would have this whole, we would just never say that. But the, they were like, you must be highly favored in God's sight. It's hard for cynical and comfort-loving and, frankly, spoiled Americans to think in that way, right? What the Puritans meant by that phrase was simply what is written in Hebrews. God disciplines every son he loves. That's all they meant. God must really love you. He's disciplining you. Right? They saw trials and difficulties as proof of God's love. In prosperity, you will find that your temptations, like the Israelites, is to forget God. In adversity, you will find that the temptation is far, um, is that temptation to forget God is far from you. But only if you accept that great and challenging statement from Romans 8.28, right? And we know that God causes all things to work together for those, for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And I know I've, I've spoken of this before, but Joe Bailey, father of, of Tim Bailey, buried three of his children, one in infancy, one when it was three or four years old, and then one a National Merit Scholar at 18. And he died in a sledding accident. He was a hemophiliac. They didn't keep him from enjoying such things. And, and Joe Bailey said he never, he said that he never felt closer to God than on the days he put one of his beloved children into the ground. Can you imagine Joe Bailey on those days saying today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and we will we will spend a year there engage in business and make a profit can you imagine him saying that no no at those times eternity and the blessedness of Jesus Christ and the resurrection were all that mattered to him and that's why it was though so bitter so painful it was so sweet God, through severe providences, had put his mind on the things above and taken them off the things of this world. Some of you have experienced those same severe providences. You've you've struggled with debilitating depression. God has taken, by his means, whatever they are, all the joy out of your brain and your heart at times. You've said goodbye to little ones and planted them in the ground for the resurrection. You've lost spouses. You've suffered financial loss. You've, you've suffered physically and been made to take things day by day. And like the Puritans, are we able to see these things as the discipline of a loving father? It's certainly necessary we do so, so that we, uh, through the things we have been given to suffer by God, are able to strengthen those who are going through similar difficulties. Now think about that. God may have made you suffer so that you could help those who are suffering in the same way as you. Right? Those who have been blessed with perseverance through a severe affliction have been given a treasure. You've been given a treasure. Now you, you may want to hit me in the face. I will suffer it gladly. 
right? But you who have suffered have been given a treasure, and God expects now that that treasure be shared with those who are suffering, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God afflicts us, provides comfort, we persevere through his affliction so that we can then go help those who are in the same sort of affliction that we went through. You see, you who have had your hearts and your minds weaned from this world by the things you have suffered, and who hasn't, have a new obligation to benefit from the comfort God has brought to you. Right? You are to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which you have been comforted. That is now, that's why this is a treasure. Your sufferings are a treasure that you now get to bless other people with. Certainly the strength that you've been given. Oh, I mean, the world will tell you to continue to, to be a victim. The world will tell you to wallow and that you need... You just need to be ministered to, you need to be afflicted, you need to play the victim for your whole life. But God, who purposefully brings suffering into our lives, lifts up our heads and then expects us to begin carrying the burden of other people who are experiencing the same thing that we did previously. And so you who have learned what it means to struggle through each second of a day, and are still here kicking, and know some joy, now have an obligation to share that perseverance with those who are in the midst of that breathless time when they just see no hope. And you do that, and you're fulfilling the law of Christ, which is love. Christ, as you know, learned obedience through the things he suffered. In other words, he learned to honor God and follow God and obey God and live for God's will through the things he suffered. Your suffering is meant to lead you to obedience and to strength. That's what it's meant to do. Right? You've been taught to take nothing for granted by what you've suffered, not to boast in some future speculations. Right? Now, now take that sanctification and help those people who God is now presently afflicting. Who God is pressing down on very, diff- very heavily. Who are still, as you, some of you know, who are still in that why, O oh Lord, phase. And so those of you who have suffered have a treasure that you can share with those who are suffering. You're obligated to do so. And the funny thing is, is it will help you, it will help you stop feeling sorry for yourself. It will help you trust God. It will give you joy that will draw you out of yourself. Perhaps that's what it's, that's what is meant when, when we're taught that strength is perfected in weakness. You've been shown by severe providences that you are weak, and then knowing your weakness, you thirst for the grace of God in a way that you didn't previously and never would have. And so you, along with the Apostle Paul, will boast about your weaknesses, your utter dependence upon God, 
And that utter dependence is actually strength. Utter dependence on God is, is strength of faith. And you have an obligation then to come alongside others who are weak in faith and still trusting in their own strength. And say, no, 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 no. You can you follow God. Trust God. This is God in this. He is honing you. He loves you. He, this is... This is his discipline because he loves you. Here's another thing from James for our passage. James says, instead of viewing life through the lens of your own strength, you should say this. <laughs> and I love this verse. Right? Instead of, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 this. I'm going to make a profit, blah, 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 blah. You should say this. If the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Oh, man. Notice the contrast between that statement and the previous one. The statement is humble. The previous was cocky. The phrase, if the Lord wills, is significant. That acknowledgement of God's sovereign power must be the aroma around everything we put our hands and minds to, of the plans we make, of every looking forward. Right? Notice, too, the humility of what follows. James does not say, if the Lord wills, we will go to such and such, such, and such a city and make a profit. No, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will draw our next breath. If the Lord wills, we'll have an, we'll, we'll have an hour. If the Lord wills, we'll, we'll have our life. And should he will that? Well, then maybe we'll be able to do this or that. See the distance between the two, the arrogance of the one and the humility of the second statement. So dear brothers and sisters, having, having this mindset will guard our hearts from something that is often a cause of sin for us. Having this mindset, if the Lord wills, will free us from boasting, basing our happiness on the ups and downs of life in this fallen world. Things don't go according to our plans in this life. And when they don't go according to our plans, we, have, we, have, we go one or of two ways. Either we praise God and recline into his will by faith, or we listen to the voice of Job's wife who suggested that, God, that Job just curse God and die. He's a terrible master. Just curse him and, and die. We either become bitter toward this world and long for the redemption of all things or we become bitter toward God and start making the next plan for what will make us happy outside of Him. This world is not our home. Right? We live as aliens in a foreign land looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's our home. Not this world. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. 
So this week, give thanks to the Lord for all of his providences in your life, those that are kind and easy and those that are very difficult and painful. Give thanks for those things and acknowledge that his will is better than yours. It is more informed. It is more, uh, it is more good in every way than your own. Right? All of your thoughts are tainted with sin. All of God's thoughts are perfection. And so what he has ordained is for your good. Accept that statement of the Puritans, right? That God must really love you. Really accept it. And then live day by day. Live moment by moment to his glory. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy in Jesus. We thank you that, that he destroyed death and through his resurrection and has taken away its sting. Lord, we thank you that we can, we know from your word that, that there is nothing arbitrary in this world that you sovereignly rule over it all and you know when even a hair falls from our head. You know us and you have ordained all that comes to pass. And so, Father, when difficulties, struggles, pain, unbearable pain comes along, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to put our thoughts upon you to sing praises to you even as you afflict us. Father, I pray that, that you would help all of us who have suffered in different ways to take that suffering and to, to use, use our thanks, use our current status as, as having persevered through that affliction to comfort others. Help us to grow in this. Help us to um, bless others this way. And Father, I do pray for our, our week this week. What a joy it is, the, the simplicity of this, this holiday to just be about thanksgiving. And Lord, we know that so many people will just be giving thanks to retailers, but we will be giving thanks to you be giving thanks to the God who created all things. We'll be giving thanks to the God who, who created us. And we'll be giving thanks to the God who redeemed us even after we had fallen. Giving thanks for Jesus Christ and his incarnation. Giving thanks for his, his death as a substitute on the cross. Giving thanks for his his rising from the dead, giving thanks for his ascension and his, his being in session at your right hand, giving thanks for the fact that he will one day come again on the clouds with the trumpet of God. And we will meet him in the air and descend back on a redeemed earth forever to live in his presence. That's what we will give thanks for. 
And all through this life, Father, as you bring severe providences, we will continue to give you thanks. We pray that the Spirit would give us perseverance. That there would even be mercy in your affliction. And there always is, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.